0: Yeah, I mean if you're honest, you lie there in bed and you go, how could you blow this? You've pretty much won it. You'd rather just, yeah, you know, but um, but I almost did lose it in the middle of Nick Heiner was winning and I was pretty much last for a while.
1: No, it was quite funny, actually. People um, seemed to believe what we told them, so even though we might be going for a long, long ride on the weekend or something like that, we would just make up an excuse like our arms were sore from grinding all week and we just had to you know, do a bit of cross training on the bike just to keep doing some aerobic stuff.
0: It was pretty funny at the prize giving, the um, Hungarian guy got second, stood up and said Josh will be able to go around and knock on Sir Russell Coots' door and say I've won something you haven't and he'll. And Josh will be the only person in the world who could do that.
2: Hi everyone and welcome to Broadreach Radio, the Yorin New Zealand podcast. My name is Michael Brown, and it's my pleasure this week to bring you an interview with two of the heavyweights of New Zealand sailing in more ways than one. Josh Jr. and Andy Maloney have taken collaboration to a new level in their Olympic sailing in the Finn class, and it's paid dividends with both among the world's best. I talked to them about their pathway to the top in the heavyweight dinghy, highlighted, of course, by Josh's win at last year's Finn Gold Cup but also about their other day job, namely helping Emirates Team New Zealand firstly win, and now, hopefully, defend the America's Cup. We delve into weight gain, riding bikes on boats, Olympic experiences, getting to grips with a new class, and then trying to find their feet on the international fin circuit after a couple of years out of dinghy sailing. We also explore what the 12-month delay of the Tokyo Olympics might mean for the pair, and what they might do after this Olympic cycle especially as the fin has been dropped from the program for the Paris 2024 Olympics. It's time to roll the interview. Enjoy. Well, joining us on the show today are Josh Jr. and Andy Maloney, who both wear a couple of different sailing hats these days. Both are, of course, America's Cup winners, having helped Emirates team New Zealand to victory in Bermuda in 2017, and they're also part of the team looking to defend the Cup in New Zealand next year. But Josh and Andy are also among the world's best Finn sailors, and late last year, Josh became the first Kiwi to win the prestigious Finn Gold Cup. Andy also enjoyed terrific success on the circuit last year, winning two top-level regattas, and he's currently ranked third in the world in the class. Firstly, welcome to the show, gentlemen. Now before we get into uh, the nitty-gritty, I'd just like to ask you about uh, what you're up to this weekend, namely the New Zealand Open Team Sailing National Championships in Kerikeri. Andy, you're in a, a Bay of Islands team, which includes the like of the likes of Blair and Jesse Chouk and Brad Ferrand. What's your experience in team sailing and, and what's brought about your involvement this time?
1: Uh, yeah, thanks Michael for having us. Um... I guess with the teams racing, you know, we're stuck in, stuck in New Zealand for a wee while here and we just thought it'd be a pretty cool opportunity to um, sail something a bit different and just do some competitive racing. But um, I guess my history in teams racing is just doing a little bit throughout high school up in Kerikeri and um, Blair had the cool idea to get a um, Bay of Islands team together. So with him and Brad Farrand we're sort of throwing back to high school days and just doing it for a bit of fun really.
2: But it's also a fairly star studded lineup. Um, along with Blair, there's also Peter Burling, Alex Maloney, Molly Meach, Sam Meach uh, taking part, of, as well as yourselves, of course, and some good young talent and experienced team sailors. Um, but you're both teaming up with a couple of youngsters. Josh, talk to me about your partner for the weekend.
0: Yeah, I'm, um, I'm taking Nelson Meacham up, who's a young Opti sailor, and um, he's been going pretty well. And he's a son of one of the um, old boys here at Team New Zealand. So, you know, I was a bit heavy and, and the total crew weight was meant to be about 130 30 kilos. And, of course, with me weighing 100 kilos, I needed someone pretty small. And so I'm pretty excited to sail with him. He's been on email and he's been sending me some um, videos of teams racing because, of course, I haven't done much. And um, so he's been he's been schooling me up. He's been sending through some videos of all the different plays and how we should do it and and stuff like that. So he might be the tactician, I think.
2: Will it feel a, a 420 feel like a slightly bigger version of a fin, um, but with a jib? Do you think, Andy?
1: Um, I don't know, I think it's going to feel pretty foreign having not sailed it for a while, but um, I think speed will be pretty important, so hopefully, we get the hang of it pretty quickly. Otherwise, it might be a long weekend getting our um bums handed to us by the high school kids. <laughs>
2: um, I'm keen to talk to you today predominantly about your Olympic sailing because um, you've adopted a fairly unique approach that's obviously been paying dividends for the pair of you. Um, so now you've enjoyed terrific success on the Finn circuit in 2019, which I mentioned. What do you put that down to, Andy?
1: Yeah, like you say, we work super closely together and we sort of teamed up at the end of 2017, early 2018. And... Josh and Andrew Murdoch and John Cutler and some of New Zealand's other great fin sailors you know they were all pretty helpful to me and Josh was really selfless and giving me all the knowledge he had to get me up to speed as soon as possible sort of hoping I guess or knowing that down the track I'd be a pretty valuable training partner to him and um, that put us in really good stead he he sort of taught me the tricks of the trade within the first few months over summer and then you know after a couple of regators overseas I was competing at the front of the fleet with him so yeah it's put us in a really good place now as we come into the sort of final year now up to the olympics that um we can do some pretty great things together um equipment testing wise and just training on a daily basis out there with um, two of us going similar speeds um at the front of the fleet in the world so that's pretty cool
2: so josh how did this arrangement come about uh, where you are so working so closely together
0: Yeah, I guess um, you know Andy and I have been good friends for a long time. We're similar age, and we grew up sailing all through all through junior years and into the laser together. And then I guess um, you know we obviously um, did the America's Cup, and then I was his best man at his wedding, and and then we were both we both became interested in having a crack at the fin, and and I think we um, both agree that the best way to do it is to do it together and to be completely open and bounce ideas off each other and And i think it just became a natural fit and and by being best friends there's no other way we were really going to do it as you know as we we're going to do it together and, and have a good time doing it
2: i guess collaboration is quite common in sailing um, and especially between training partners but usually you know individuals hold a few things back so why, what sort of things do you, you two actually share, Andy? Uh, we, pretty, we
1: share everything. We've, um, we've got the same equipment. We've, we train together every, every time we're in the gym or every time we're on the water. We're doing the exact same session. We share a coach and we share all the little tips you know that we learn about technique on the water or whatnot. We'll, um, we'll stop between lineups and if one of us is going better than the other one, we'll try and figure out together why that is. Um, and we just believe, you know, that'll give us the best shot of winning a medal at the Olympics because um, we know we're up against some pretty good competitors and some countries with a strong history in the class. So for us to
2: try and win that gold, it's, we've got to work really closely together. I guess that the Olympics is the end goal and only one of you can go. Um So are you, you know, are you genuinely happy when the other achieves uh, success? Because, um, you know, single-handed sailing can be a very individual sport at times, Sandy. Yeah, no, we're we're always happy to see the other guy on the podium.
1: But our our goal is always to be on the podium together. So the ultimate high is when we both get on the podium. But um, like seeing Josh win the Worlds in December, I was pretty, I I was gutted with my own performance, but I was genuinely really stoked for him that, New Zealand had won the gold cup for the first time, so yeah, there's a bit of mixed emotions because you might not be happy with your own performance, but you're definitely happy for the team and for the other person if they do well.
2: Yeah, the Olympics has obviously been delayed um, by 12 months because of the COVID pandemic. How did you guys react to the news, uh, Josh?
0: Yeah, I think you know it's it's both positive and a negative. I think we're in, we were in a good space to go and race in Tokyo, but. You know we're also we're also about the, excited about the opportunity to do some things we hadn't you know we hadn't been able to get done like we'd brought a few new masts and and we wanted to try a few different um, sales setups that we just weren't going to be able to do before the Olympics so it's given us an opportunity to do a few extra things that we wouldn't have done so I think you know it's, an, it's exciting for us and we'll end up in a better place because of it.
2: So is there any sense, Andy, of what the, the rest of the year looks like? Because, you know, seven sailors have already been selected uh, for the Olympics. Um, New Zealand sailors have been selected for the Olympics, but decision obviously still needed to be made around which Finn sailor to take. And this year's Finn Gold Cut uh, was going to play, a, I guess, a role in that decision, but was postponed. So so do you, what sort of chances do you think there are of, of another meaningful international regatta happening anytime soon?
1: Yeah, we're pretty hopeful that um, that something will happen between now and the games, obviously. But um, we're just keeping our options open for this for this year a little bit, and just trying to make decisions maybe as as late as we can push them back, so we can still achieve what we want to achieve this year. Um, but you know, if there's regators that go ahead and we can make it, then then we might give that a go. But if it's not the best thing for our campaign and for Team New Zealand as well, then we'll um, we'll figure out what's best at that stage. But hopefully there's some stuff in the new year that happens maybe after the cup and yeah, we'll have some good preparation for the games if that happens.
2: I just want to briefly take you back to the last um, campaign because you missed out last time very narrowly to Sam Meach and the laser. Um, what was that experience like for you? Yeah,
1: Sam and I, we had a super um, tight selection right the way through and, um, yeah, it was pretty tough to, to take at the time. Obviously, I wanted to be at the Games. And Sam and I, we'd been training partners, but we hadn't worked as closely together as what Josh and I do now. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough to watch back from New Zealand, but um, I tried, tried to help Sam by showing up to Rio and his training blocks there and stuff and um, trying to prepare with him and our coach, Mark Howard, as best as,
2: as we could. But yeah, it was definitely a bitter pill to swallow. Did you feel, though, that you helped contribute to Sam's bronze medal at those Olympics?
1: Well, we'd, we yeah, we'd both been pushing each other for the previous six years, probably, in the laser class. So um, both of us were as good as we were because, because of the other one being there at some stage along the way. So um, maybe I played a small part in that, but Sam definitely did the um, hard, hard work at the time to win the medal.
2: And was there any chance you'd jump back in the laser for this Olympic cycle? Mm, it,
1: it didn't really cross my mind after the um cup in 2017 after i'd put on a heap of weight um to be big enough for that and the sort of opportunities and doors that opened for me in the the pro sailing world um i think i wouldn't try and lose that weight again and close some of those doors at this stage um so yeah no, nah, i wasn't really considering the laser it was either probably the fin class at the time or maybe no olympic class for me and how hard was it switching from the laser to the fin? Um, it was it wasn't easy but it was made a lot easier with the help of Josh and Doc and Cutler and stuff. Um, I think the first couple of months over summertime in, in 2018 beginning of 2018 Josh was Josh was smashing me especially downwind and I'd go probably throughout a training day on a downwinder or something ending up about 100 meters behind at every bottom mark (laughs) and we'd talk about it and try and discuss it but it's one of those things that's quite hard to um, teach the other person because it's a lot about feel and stuff as well but um, yeah it probably took a good four months five months to get to get up to pace enough downwind to be competitive and then probably wasn't until the beginning of 2019 that I was actually getting quite quick downwind similar to what Josh is so it took it took a while to get right um, right to the pointy end of the fleet in that sense but I mean it would have taken twice as long without the help I did have so yeah
2: we you know when you were finding yourself so far behind in those downwinds we you, you know were you getting frustrated were you impatient
1: <laughs> yeah it was real frustrating because um sort of I guess the worse your technique is the harder you have to work as well and in pumping conditions if you don't have the right feel or the, you know, if you're not giving it the right amount at the right time or hitting the right angles, you can be working way too hard for what you should be. And um, yeah, Josh would be sailing away with me, look, from me, look, making it look effortless, and I'd be the max heart rate trying to keep up with him and just getting further and further behind. So it was pretty, it was pretty frustrating at times, but
2: um, bloody good workout at least. <laughs> now, Josh, you also used to sail a laser and was, um, I think, ranked as high as number two in the world at one stage. Um, what what sort of preface your switch to the fin?
0: I switched because I got too big. <laughs> I had no other option, so I um, I uh, yeah, just I just grew out of it really, and and was ready for a change. I did a year of mat tracing to try that, and then decided the fin was for me. So
2: then I I really enjoyed it actually. So you went, you did the fin over the last Olympic cycle. I guess what was that cycle like for you, and, and how's it sort of differed um, from this time around? Uh, it was quite
0: different. I guess um, Andrew Murdoch, uh, who's coaching us now, was also sailing the fin, so it was quite close between him and I. But it was a little bit different because we weren't working so closely together. I guess we we're in different stages of life. He, he had a family. He was living in Tauranga. I was up here in Auckland, and and we just didn't share as much information or train as much together. And I sort of struggled with the amount of work I had to do to improve, and and didn't have as much support as what I do now with Andy. So, you know, this time around, Andy's there, and and if I'm struggling with anything, he's right there to pick up the pieces. You know, so so now it's a lot more fun and a lot more um, enjoyable, and we get a lot more out of it. So I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this cycle a lot.
2: So you won the spot to go to rio what were your expectations at those olympics
0: I guess i thought we'd got ourselves to a position where I could certainly win a medal but um but in hindsight looking back on it i was you know I was underprepared I hadn't done everything I needed to and and um, i wasn't I wasn't a good enough sailor or, or strong enough mentally to win a medal so you know i had I had potential and stuff but you know, probably what I finished up is what I deserved in the end.
2: Now, the opportunity with Emirates Team New Zealand came up um, fairly soon after. So, how, just talk to me about how that came around. I don't know. I
0: think I think I just got a little bit lucky. Um, I got a call from Shub, and or a text message, I think, and he asked to catch up for a coffee and asked, um, you know, if I wanted to come and be interested in having a look and being part of the team. And I sort of just got involved um, after the Olympics. I sort of went down to the base and just started getting involved as much as I could and, and doing what was asked of me and training with the boys. And, you know, and then Andy and I both at the same time sort of got offered a contract and, and um, you know, the rest is history. And, you know, I just worked
2: hard and, and really enjoyed the,
0: the environment, really.
2: What did you think you might be doing in those early days? What your role might have been on in the cup team?
0: Well, I guess Andy and I were always employed as sailors, but I guess what surprised us the most is probably how much um, how much work you do around the base and how much you get involved in every aspect of the team. Like I guess in the last campaign, I was um, I was almost the stormman I was ordering all the rubber gloves and the popsicle sticks and the resin and the tape so the boat builders could keep building the boat. And, um, you know, you'd end up driving around and picking up bits that have been anodized or CNC machined or, you know, stuff like that or building boxes to store stuff. So not only are you a sailor when you're part of Team New Zealand, you're also very much involved in, um, you know, helping the boat builders out, helping the designers out and, you know, just being a part of the whole team. So it's a really cool,
2: cool, immersive environment. I'll just get onto the cycle shortly, but Andy, just bring you in here. How did your opportunity to join Emirates Team New Zealand come up?
1: Yeah, mine was a little bit different. Um, Shub didn't obviously just give me a call up like Josh did. (laughs) Um, I was, after missing out on Rio, I was um, chatting to a few different um, older sailors in the New Zealand community and Joey Allen sort of told me I should get in touch with Glen O'Reilly and just see if there was any way I could help out around the base or you know get involved um and so I got in touch with them and sat down for coffee and um yeah I guess I just was keen to help out in any way possible but they invited me out on on the chase boat a couple weeks later and I got to see what they were up to and then I got invited to a few gym sessions with the boys and it was quite obvious that they were um training the legs pretty hard um and not so much upper body so I had I had quite a bit of um sort of i guess base fitness on the bike having done so much cycling as a laser sailor that's pretty much what we do when we're overseas when we're not sailing we try and race each others up the hills in spain or whatnot so um yeah i guess they saw the maybe potential in my cycling along with having a good good set of sailing knowledge that um i could be an asset if i put on a bit of weight so yeah, I got involved like that. And then I think Josh and I probably, I think we sat down with Shub on the same day after lunch actually and and got offered our contracts together. So I was pretty fortunate to, to join the team, I guess only about a year out from the cup. So got involved pretty late in the campaign, but yeah, it was an amazing
2: experience. You, You mentioned about the weight there. I think you put on around 15 kilos from your laser sailing days. Um, was it difficult at all and and what did you do to to add that extra bulk?
1: Yeah, I think I went from about, like you say, somewhere in the low eighties to, I think I peaked around a hundred kilos. um, uh, probably the first 10 kilos came on pretty naturally because I was probably dieting a little bit to say, to stay down at laser weight, but, um, definitely had to do a lot more gym sessions than I would have normally done and tried to get a lot stronger and just eat about three times as much for breakfast as I would in the laser. So, um, but, yeah, the first 10 kilos wasn't too bad, but the next five or so was pretty hard to get on, yeah. Josh, what
0: did you think when they told you that you'd be riding a bike? I thought it was bloody good. I thought it was a bit of a no-brainer. <laughs> a lot stronger with your legs than your arms. But I guess the um, the, guys here, or the guys and girls here had done a, a really good job of making that work. I mean, if it was easy, all the teams would have done it. So... Um, they just did a really good job of, of making the systems work and adapting the boat to that. And and um, I thought it worked really well. I personally like using my legs more than my arms.
2: <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, either way it's cool, you know. Was it difficult, Andy, at all, to, to keep the fact that you were doing so much riding and, and bike training uh, a secret?
1: Uh, it was quite funny, actually. People um, seemed to believe what we told them, so... Even though we might be going for a long, long ride on the weekend or something like that, we would just make up an excuse like our arms were sore from grinding all week, and we just had to, you know, do a bit of cross training on the bike just to keep doing some aerobic stuff. But um, everyone sort of just believed us, and I was pretty surprised that my close family and friends didn't notice my legs were getting really big and that my arms weren't growing much. But um, I think I think my wife's family was a little bit um, concerned at my improvements in the upper body area, I guess. They come from like a rugby background, and I told them I was becoming a grinder, and my arms were staying really small. So I think they probably had questions in their mind about maybe my methods of training. But it was all pretty clear, I guess, once we revealed it was cycling. And it made a lot of sense to everyone.
2: How hard was it to change your training from predominantly, say, maybe upper body to the lower body?
0: I guess we were lucky. Both Andy and I, coming from sailing background, that we'd done a lot of cycling and, and we had a bit of a background in cycling. So it was probably an easier transition to do that, um, to go to cycling. We're actually quite good at it. But now switching into the grinding has certainly taken us a lot longer. It's taken us longer to get like the mass and the, you know, and, and stop yourself from getting injuries and, and learning to the motion of grinding. That's probably almost taken us longer to go that way than it did to get into the cycling.
2: Now, you famously then went on to win the America's Cup. I um, just want to jump forward, obviously, a little bit here. But um, you know, how do you look back on that now, Josh, that, that experience?
0: Well, I look back on the um, America's Cup in Bermuda really fondly. It was, um, it was a pretty cool time. I mean, I stayed in the house with Pete and Blair and Andy, and we used to thundercat into work every day and, and go sailing and race the coolest boats in the America's Cup. But you know it was a pretty it was a pretty amazing team effort and um, you turn up there and you've got this huge tent and there's about a hundred people in Team New Zealand working inside this tent trying to get this boat on the water and and when you win it or when we won it it was just an amazing feeling of like satisfaction and and you know all the effort that everyone had put in had sort of been rewarded and it's a very different feeling from the um, from doing something in your and your fin where it's predominantly yourself who's made all the decisions and done most of the work. It's quite a self, you know, you feel. But when you win it as a huge team, it's quite a different feeling. And, and I really enjoyed that.
2: Was it hard then, Andy, to come back down to earth, I guess, after all the euphoria and then the national tour when thousands came out to celebrate with you? Um, yeah, we had a great time, I guess,
1: as a whole team touring around the country and just... You know, we had a lot of bus rides together and just had a really fun couple weeks, really. But um, no, I guess even in the bus rides, we were, you know, there was the odd chat about what we were planning to do next and stuff. Um, And yeah, I guess it just sort of eventuated and we all made up our decisions about what we wanted to do do in the future, I guess, the near future and sort of went off on our own challenges from there.
2: Did you always have in mind that you'd give the Olympics another crack?
0: No, for me I didn't I didn't really know what I was gonna do. I was just focused on doing the best I could in the um America's Cup and then um, no, I wasn't always I wasn't always gonna go back to the Olympics but um, you know, after a few months I really you know, I got excited to go and sail the fin again and Andy was Andy was keen to sail the fin and I really liked the opportunity of being able to train and work with him and try and go out there and beat the rest of the world. So you know, that's what got me excited and then it's just been it's been a really fun process from there.
2: Was it difficult for you then, Josh, to, to get back up to speed in training and get to a place where you were happy with how you were sailing the boat? Yeah, I mean yes. I think
0: the rest of the world um the rest of the world had moved on from where they were in in Rio and everyone, everyone's equipment had gotten better and people were sailing the boats faster. So although Andy and I did a good job of, um, you know, getting ourselves relatively fit and sailing the boats reasonably okay, I still think when we got to Europe that first year in 2018, we were, we were a little bit off the pace, really. And, um, you know, although we got some good results that year with Andy on the podium and a few other really good, almost winning the Worlds and stuff, but I think if you look at it we weren't at the level we're at now and and I think we've um we've managed to make a few good steps from there in terms of boat speed and stuff. So yeah, I think I think it was we came back all right, but the world had definitely moved on. But I think we're catching that up.
2: Yeah, um Andy I think got third at the Princess Sophia Regatta in, in two thousand and eighteen and then you were second and third at the World Cup series final in Marseille in two thousand and eighteen. Was that a sort of the the point when you felt it was starting to click, Andy? Um, Yeah, I think
1: like Josh says, it wasn't until 2019 that we really made massive leaps um, forward. But um, yeah, I think it was pretty cool for me and pretty motivating to at least get on a podium in the first year. Um, But yeah, we did some really good work over the next sort of 10 months to put us in a really good place come the first couple regattas of 2019. And I think we had a much more consistent and we're definitely um, much more all-round competitive um, in 2019.
2: Just at the uh, 2018 Sailing World Champs in Aarhus in Denmark, uh, you both finished in the top 10. But Josh, you had a chance to win gold. Just talk to me about that final fleet race uh, because it was a fairly dramatic one.
0: Yeah, I guess I'd, um, I'd sold a pretty good series in Aarhus at the World Champs. Um, and I was looking really good in the final race. Like I had points pretty much wrapped up and stuff. And, and uh, you know, Aarhus was an interesting place. And on this, on this final race, final leg, final top mark, sort of this huge squall starts rolling down across the course and, and just demoed the front end of the fleet and sort of turned the fleet a little bit inside out. And that's sort of um I ended up capsizing and so did a whole lot of other people. But you know, that's in the end that's yacht racing, you know, you have you have your periods where things go well and periods where they don't and and in the end that was just that was just one of those times when something didn't quite go your way. But um yeah, I was a bit gutted at the time. I was a bit annoyed that something like that capsizing a big freak sort of squall had sort of screwed up what I thought was going pretty well. But that's life, that's sailing and we'll learn from that and get better.
2: Did you feel that um, perhaps you could have gone on to win gold if, if that hadn't happened? I mean, yeah, if if the breeze had stayed 10 knots from
0: the same direction we were racing in before that massive squall came in, I was, yeah, pretty much done enough, but, but I mean, that's always going to be like that. That's yacht racing. And, um, yeah, you just, you just got to be better the next time. And, um, deal with that situation better or be further ahead before those things happen. So, um, you know, I was I was pretty gutted at the time, but in hindsight, that's just, you know, that's just yacht racing and I've certainly had my share of ups, so I'm not going to complain about it too much.
2: It's just life. But, you know, I guess the fact is that you guys were uh, coming along quite nicely and, yes, it all sort of started to, to come for fruition, I guess, in um, 2019. did it? Was there a bit of – did you sense a bit of chatter in the boat park about you two and, and the fact that you were working so closely together, Andy? Uh,
1: not really, no. I think um, – nah, I do I, – we don't really sense much chatter, but, um, yeah, we're pretty, pretty confident in, like, our processes and our routines and stuff now. So I think we're uh, – Huge step forward on what we were in 2018, and um, yeah, hopefully, we can make another good step forward this year at some stage um, to take forward into 2021.
2: Do you think it has any effect on on your competitors to have to see two New Zealand flag boats uh, at the front of the fleet, Andy?
1: Uh, I think if I was them, I'd be a bit jealous of the situation just because um, usually you have to train, I guess, with maybe one of the top competitors from another nation and they don't have a lot of the luxuries that Josh and I have, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they wish they were having the same situation or in the same position as we are with that, but um, they make the most of what they've got as well. So there's still a lot of stiff competition out there for us. That's for sure.
2: Hmm. And fast forward into 2019 and you were both um, among the favorites heading into the Finn Gold Cup in Australia. Um, and did, did, did was there extra pressure on, on yourselves knowing how well you'd done that year and, and what was at stake?
1: Yeah, I think I always put a lot of um, pressure on myself probably at the big events, but you definitely also take a lot of confidence from doing well throughout the year and, you know, um, getting a couple wins and stuff really gives you confidence as well in your techniques and your, your tactics and all that. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of pressure and, I mean, the gold cup was up for grabs and that's always a really cool thing to um, be fighting for. But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, we both started the regatta really well and Josh carried that on throughout the event, but I definitely let myself down towards the end of the event and couldn't keep on the pace that Josh was, Josh was performing it. So, um, so yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I learned a lot from that regatta. That's for sure. And just wish there was a world's um, this year when it was meant to be planned to try and, you know, get back on that.
2: You mentioned Josh's start. He, Josh, you had a one five five one two two five uh, in the first seven races, which in a what was it a eighty boat fleet It's pretty impressive. Um, when did you start to think that you might be in with a shot there? Yeah, I,
0: well after that I thought I was in with a shot, but um, but you never know until the last race. I guess Andy and I had put a huge amount of work and thought into how we were going to race that World Champs, and we'd done a. Um, We'd done a really good build-up and we'd we'd really spent a bit of time in Melbourne learning the conditions and learning how to race in Melbourne and, and we'd developed speed and techniques for the conditions there and we'd done a good job and I guess both of us really were trying to put our best foot forward so we always kind of thought we were in with a shot and it was just about trying to execute what we had practised really. So I guess I was just trying to do that as best as I could and I was,
2: yeah, I guess I was I was getting lucky on that occasion. I was doing quite well. Uh, you went into that medal race with a 16-point lead over Nicholas Heiner. Um, was it hard to not get ahead of yourself in that race?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're honest, you lie there in bed and you go, how could you blow this? You've pretty much won it. You'd rather just, yeah, you know, but um, but I almost did lose it in the medal race Nick Heiner was winning and I was pretty much last for a while. But, um I only needed to beat a few boats, and luckily managed to do that, and and the rest was the rest. But yeah, you've really just got to try and focus on each race at a time, and you can't get too caught up in what's going to happen at the end. You've just got to live. You got to you got to be in the moment and race the moment. Otherwise, you will um you will make mistakes because you'll be thinking of things that just aren't important.
2: So always try and keep it to what it is. You know what what's important now. Andy, you, you you reflect that it was a disappointing one for you, but you did finish sixth in that. So, I guess what were the main takeaways from you for you out of that regatta? Um, yeah, I guess towards
1: the end, um, I just wasn't quite executing as well as Josh was, and although I had really good pace around the race course, um, yeah, I just wasn't starting the race off quite as quite as well as he was, and. Um, yeah, just a few things with within that a bit more finer detail that I just need to needed to improve and um, yeah, like you say, I was still near the front of the feet, so I've got to be happy with that. But um, you know, you're always a bit disappointed if you're not you're never sailing to probably your full potential anyway. So you're always a little bit you know um, wishing you could have done this or that better.
2: Now, Josh, you um, became the first Kiwi to win the Finn Gold Cup. Uh, since the first event in 1956. Um, there was John T. Farmer won bronze in 1975 and silver in 76. Dan Slater claimed silver in 2008. And then, of course, there's also the proud tradition of New Zealand Finn sailors with Russell Coots winning gold in the Finn in the 84 Olympics, and John Cutler and Craig Monk also collecting Olympic medals in the Finn. So what was it like for you to become the first Kiwi to win something that so many pretty top-notch sailors have been trying to achieve for so long.
0: I don't know. I don't know. It was, you know, it's my first time I've ever podiumed at a world champs, let alone won one. So for me, I was ecstatic, and you know, to finally, um, you know, to finally knock that off and achieve that is, is like a bit of a, you know, a lifelong goal. So, so I was pretty stoked. <laughs> It was pretty funny at the prize giving the um Hungarian guy got second stood up and said, Josh will be able to go around and knock on um Sir Russell Kouttz's door and say, I've won something you haven't and he'll and Josh will be the only person in the world who could do that, but I'm not going to go knock on his door <laughs> and say that." <laughs>
2: Um, of course, the fin has been dropped from the Olympic program for the 2024 Paris Olympics. How did you react to that news, Andy? Oh, I don't know. I think it's dis-
1: disappointing for maybe the, the bigger guys in Olympic sailing to not have necessarily a boat that suits them anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not sure what I'm going to do after this this Olympics yet, and I'll just have to wait and see what other boats are, are um, available and what other opportunities come my way and other parts of sailing as well
2: what are those boats what are the fins like to sail because to me they look incredibly physical is that you know what is it like Andy
1: yeah it is extremely physical I mean I can just compare it I guess to the laser being a similar type of boat but because the laser is such so much lighter um, that physical element comes in upwind in the fin just because there's so much more load on your legs with the boat being that much heavier and your body being that much heavier as well and then downwind it's a different beast um, with the free pumping aspect so yeah it's definitely a lot um, it's definitely very physical but it's also a really cool boat in the sense that it's so technical um, in comparison to the laser where um, you can change a lot more with your boat and there's a lot more base settings to change and a lot more equipment development that you can do and stuff. So I've really enjoyed learning from Josh and each other and developing that side of things as well, which I didn't really have a great amount of knowledge in coming out of the laser. So I think for my sailing in general, it's been really good to jump into a boat, which is a little bit more developmental than what the laser was.
2: So Josh, Andy's not sure you know, beyond this Olympic cycle, but do you see a future for yourself in Olympic sailing beyond Tokyo?
0: Um, I'm not so sure either, you know, it's just, um, a little bit of wait and see, I guess. And first got to, um, got to get to Tokyo and hopefully either Andy and I can win that gold medal. That's our first goal. And, and then have a little bit of a rest after that and see, see what we can do. But, um, Imagine if you go kiteboarding. I quite like kiteboarding. That'd be pretty cool. But um,
2: I don't think I'm young enough or skilled enough to do that, but that'd be pretty awesome. You're quite a keen um, keelboat sailor. Um, So does the offshore keelboat event interest you at all? Yeah, for sure. I think I quite like all the Olympic
0: um, classes. You know, they've all got different challenges and, um, you know, different skill sets, and um, they're all incredibly competitive, obviously. So yeah the offshore would be um it would be a pretty awesome race to go you know to race offshore for a couple of days and um yeah I'd love to do that, but you know, like everything, just wait and see and see what opportunities come and and what the next part of life brings, but
2: certainly the goal at the moment is just to sail the fins and what what about other sailing maybe like the ocean race is that on uh the radar for either of you
1: yeah I think for the Volvo, I haven't really as a kid. You know, the America's Cup and the Olympics were more on my mind maybe than the Volvo. But as I get older, I maybe see more of the appealing side to doing an ocean race. But um, I think I'd have to sort of see if an opportunity came about and, um, yeah, give it a go before I could make up my mind on whether that's a definite uh, challenge that appeals to me or not.
0: He doesn't like. Doesn't
2: like. He likes the hot shower at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in, in the meantime, you've got a fair bit on your plate anyway, with um, the Americas Cup and and all your your fin sailing. So, how hard, um, Andy, has it been to juggle both campaigns?
1: I think they've really complemented each other in some ways. So, I mean, we have had to be cautious about how we juggle our time and our energy levels as well, because we've obviously got a very physical role at team new zealand as well as sailing the fin so um i think maybe the hardest thing to manage for us early on was our energy levels and that's just individually sort of or us together making sure we don't overdo it on um on both sides of the match really and burn both ends of it too much but um yeah i think the sailing side of it they've complemented each other for sure and we've been able to keep racing really competitively against some of the best sailors in the world in the olympic stuff and then the um, skills we learned from team new zealand and from the finn they sort of cross over quite a bit as well and just keeping out there on the water and sailing a lot has been really good for us
2: well we certainly wish you all the best with both campaigns um, over the next year or so but just before we let you go um, i need to ask you Something that I ask all guests on Broadreach Radio, the worst wipeout ever. So let's start with you, Josh. What is your worst wipeout ever?
0: I think Andy and I are going to share this one. I have a funny feeling. And it was um when we uh, capsized the AC50 in the America's Cup. That was by far my worst wipeout.
2: Where were you in that, in, in that episode? Well, I
0: was on the um, second bike back from the front, but I very quickly got ejected and... Uh, myself somewhere in the water um you know it was a pretty it was a pretty scary day and then um you know pretty scary event and scary day but turned into a pretty amazing team effort to bring the to bring the boat back to shore and get racing 2 days later
2: so Andy was that your worst wipeout as well
1: yeah i think i'll have to agree with Josh there i pretty much flew out of the boat right behind him and landed on top of him in the water so um, i think we were both bobbing there in the water looking up and the boat was on its nose in front of us and um, probably in a little bit of shock at the time but it happened so quickly but yeah looking back on the photos that's definitely the um, worst wipeout I've had so
2: was there a point where you look you know check all your limbs are there and no blood and no cuts yeah you feel you
1: feel around a bit and make sure everything's still there but um, yeah we were very lucky to escape with all the crew uninjured um, and yeah just a heap of damage that took a while to get it all back together but an amazing effort by the whole team
2: yeah well you famously obviously knocked back uh, bounced back to to go on to win that america's cup um as i say look uh, it's been a, a good um 45 minutes or so delving into um, the your background particularly in the olympic sailing and we certainly look forward to seeing you back out on the water uh, in the finns in some international competition, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but in the meantime, we can certainly enjoy watching you whizzing around um, the Hawaii Golf uh, with the America's Cup team. So all the best for that campaign. And um, thanks for your time this afternoon. Cheers, Michael. Well, that's it for another episode of Broad Reach Radio. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. Feel free to send in your feedback or write in with your worst wipeout ever to Michael B at yachtingnz.org.nz and the best will be read out on a subsequent podcast. In the meantime, tune in next Friday for another episode. Take care.